Welcome into the NHL at the Rink podcast. As always, Dan Rosen here and Sean Rourke out there. Sean, eight nothing, eight nothing. You didn't expect to see an eight nothing game, and when the New York Islanders are playing, they don't score eight. They don't give up eight, but they did eight nothing. Game five, Lightning got a three to two lead. Now, I thought you were talking about my son's soccer game. <laughs> You're talking about the I'm talking the game. about a hockey game that we all saw. Come on. Well, I'm being like the New York Islanders. I've forgotten about it. I've wiped it clean. I love, and we actually had this conversation, my son and I, last night. You know, he's like, I don't know how you wipe away an 8 nothing game. He goes, I'd be mad for days on end. I said, well, it's a little easier to just say you didn't play your best. And, you right. know, if you lose 3-2 to two in overtime and you laid it all out on the line, what answers do you have? You lose 8 nothing. you just say we didn't show up we're good we'll show up tomorrow it'll be a different game and that's exactly what the islanders are doing well i mean what else could they do right i mean that's exactly what they have to do they can't dwell on this one too much uh let's bring in brian compton he's right with us right now brian has covered the islanders for a long time he's covering this series with me uh he knows this team backwards and forwards brian i mean eight nothing loss Uh, it's surprising we don't expect to see it happen but the islanders approach for game six I mean, it can't change from what it, the approach was from game five, right? No way. They don't have a choice. Uh, I don't think anybody, including the Lightning, expected to see an 8 nothing game last night, fellas. It was just uh, very uncharacteristic. All the turnovers, I think that's what bothered Barry Trotz more than anything else, and the players. Um, and I think the reason why that they were, that they were so relaxed today uh, during their pressers was, was because they know that they're better than this and the mistakes that they made are correctable. Um, and they're going to have 13,000 fans behind them tomorrow night. So I would not expect another 8 nothing outcome in game six. No, but I, I, I will say that if I'm the Islanders, I'm a little nervous because you take game six and you take the third period of game five. Yeah. And that is, that's Tampa Bay playing the way they know how to play. And, and you're one miracle save away from maybe losing game five in overtime. And then yeah. – it's a whole different story. I mean, you know, you put the boots to them for the first couple of periods of game five and you're like, okay, we got the Stanley cup champs on the, on their knees and, and we got a chance to put them in a really bad place. And then you let them come all the way back. And I think that carried over into game six. I think all the confidence that they gained in game five, the third period, third period, figuring out how to attack the neutral zone, um, which is the biggest thing against the Islanders. If you can get through the neutral zone with any kind of momentum, you have a chance and they figured out how to do it in game five and really accentuated in game six. They were flying through the neutral zone. They've scored the last 10 goals. I mean, that's the reason to be nervous. And the other reason to be nervous is if you don't play well and lose, you're done. So there's multiple reasons to be nervous about game six. Um, th- that third period was weird. Tampa took it to them. You knew I saw Tyler Johnson's goal coming from a mile away. You knew they were going to get a second one. Um, and then when Barry called the timeout, they kind of relaxed things. And then this, the last minute was, was bizarre because they were on the power play and, you know, the Vassie's on the bench and they, they still almost get the tying goal. So if not for that crazy save by Pollock. Um, so yeah, the Islanders have to, I think I brought it up before game five fellows with Barry. Is it crucial to score the first goal? Because the team that has scored first has won each of these games. Um, and he kind of blew it off. Like it was more coincidence than anything else, but. Uh, I think the Islanders have to score the first goal in game six. If they don't, uh, it could be curtains for them. It, it could be absolutely because the, the, the lightning getting the first one, especially if they get it early, it, it takes a, the crowd's going to have so much energy at the Coliseum, right. right? It takes a little bit of that energy away. The stat that blows me away is the Islanders haven't had a lead after the first period at all. I don't think in these playoffs, like I think they've been outscored 17 to eight in the first yeah. period of these playoffs. See, that's yeah. the thing. I mean, you, it's, you can't be a slow starting team. Look, they're here. They're this far. So I guess you can be at times a slow starting team, but you can't expect to slow start every game against Tampa and then come back and believe that you're going to come back and win these games. They do have to score first. If they don't, it's not the end of the world, but they do. It would it would go a long way for them to do it. But, Sean, the thing you brought up, the way they were getting through the neutral zone, uh, that was to as as good as the Lightning were, and they were very good. They were taking advantage of an Islanders team that was completely out of structure and out of sorts. And that, to me, is the thing that I don't expect in game six. Barry's very good at this, at getting his teams back on track. You know, you, you 
Yes, it happened in the third period of game four, and they still came away with the win. Then from the jump in game five, obviously it was tough. It was, they were out of sorts all the way through. I expect, I, I don't expect another game like we saw last night. I expect more of what we've seen through this, the, you know, the first couple of games in this series, very tight, low scoring, checking type of style game. That's the Islanders type of game. But Brian, to your point, it's their, they're at their best at it when they can play with a lead with a one, nothing lead or a two to one lead or anything like that. And if they can get that, this, I, I mean, I, I firmly believe that eight, nothing means nothing. If they can play their style, this can go to seven easily. Yeah. And Jordan, I really just brought it up a few minutes ago, Dan, like they lost, what was it? Eight to two in game one last year yeah. of the conference finals. And then the rest of the series was, was tight. Um, much different circumstances. They played a game seven against Philly two nights earlier, flew across Canada played in Edmonton and just got completely smoked in game one against these guys. But um, they know they're better than this. Everybody knows they're better than this. Even if you don't think the Islanders belong in this situation, they're better than this. Um, I think you have to give them that much credit. So the one thing, and I, and I hate to speculate fellas, um, the one thing going against the Islanders here for me, JG Pajot is not right. Something is, is off with him injury wise. Um, he got banged up a little bit in the last round against the Bruins and just hasn't been the same since this is his bread and butter. Um, and he, they, he needs to get to another level. I think if the Islanders are going to win these next two games. Yeah. You know, and, and look, you made the point that the Islanders are out of sorts and I'm going to turn it around and say that maybe the lightning put them out of sorts. Everybody's like, Oh, the Islanders were unstructured. They lost their structure. And maybe they had their structure taken away from them. Like, look, Barry's the best coach in the league, I think. I, I don't know that anybody's going to argue about that. You know, he's got a Stanley Cup ring to prove it. He's got everything else you want, coach of the year. The guy on the other bench, he's not too terrific far, coach. No, he's, he's not a too far coach. behind him. And he figures some things out as he kind of goes along. He figured some things out against the Panthers. He figured some things out against the Hurricanes. And they, they're they a team that traditionally finishes series strong. You know, I don't – when's the last time they went to a game seven? I, I can't, you know. Washington. They didn't, yeah. They didn't they didn't in 2018? Yeah, they didn't last last year. year. No. So they're a team, you know, that gets into a series. And, and look, the Islanders are a far different team than either of the teams they played. I think, Dan, you and I have talked about this a little bit in a previous podcast. They don't play like the Panthers and they don't play like the Hurricanes who want to go up and down the ice with Tampa and say, our guys are better than your guys. And let's, let's throw the puck on the ground and, and see what happens. Yeah. The Islanders aren't going to win that way. No, and, <laughs> There's just no way. And then, so they play a completely different way. They, they frustrate yeah. you. They, you know, they clog everything up and, and they make you make mistakes. Normally, it's the other team making mistakes in the Islanders capitalizing, not in the blitzkrieg that the Tampa Bay Lightning, with all the talent they have, did last night. You, you're not going to see. There's not that collection of talent on the other side to do that. But, you know, maybe the Islanders have figured a little bit. I mean, the Lightning have figured a little bit of the Islanders out, and, and now there's got to be a counter move here. Yeah, look, there's no question they're the more, they're the more talented team. Uh, their third line has outplayed Pajot's line by a country mile. Um, and guys like Anthony Beauvillier and Jordan Eberle, if they're not going to produce fellas, there's no way the Islanders are advancing here. They're, they're here because they can roll four lines and everybody's pulling on the same rope. Um, and when that breaks even a little bit, the chances of, the, of, of them winning are minimal. They need, they need more from a lot of guys in this lineup. Sean, I wanted to go back to a point you were just making about John Cooper, because I think it's a really important point that I don't think he gets enough credit for as good of a coach as he is. And I think that's because he has so much talent on his team. Kucherov, Stamkos, Hedman. I mean, these are all world players. Vasilevsky, best goalie in the league. You know, I mean, but every time this team needs an adjustment or a response, they get it. And that comes from the coaching staff, I think. Yes, it comes from the players and the experience that they've gained and understanding all that, but he has been with this team since 2013. He's grown with these players. I mean, heck, he had Alex Kalorn and Tyler Johnson and Andre Pilat and a bunch of these guys in Norfolk on a team that won 28 games in a row in the American Hockey League, and he was a coach of that team. He is a terrific coach who makes the adjustments, as you were alluding to, Sean, all the time. That's why they're 12-0 and in games following a loss in the playoffs in the last 12. 
right? I mean, that's a huge part of it. Yeah, you know, Vasilevsky is a huge part of it and whatnot, but I think John Cooper deserves a ton of credit for that. And I don't think he gets it because of the talent on the team. Whereas if you flip it around, Barry Trotz, terrific coach, no question about it, but they don't have as much talent. So he gets more out of his team as the narrative, right? Well, Coop, look what Cooper's getting out of the lightning. And I think that it's just a point that I think needs to be hammered home here a little bit more than it is because it's hard to, you know what the other thing is? Sometimes it's hard to coach elite talent too to get them to buy into everything you want them to do and look at what the lightning have been able to do since that loss. And, and, you know, they, they got jolted the 2019 loss against Columbus. And now, and since then they they have played a perfect playoff. They've been a perfect playoff hockey team. Yeah. Yeah. Look, I mean, it's hard to get Steven Samkos and Kucherov and Victor Hedman to do what they need to do. Right. Scotty Bowman was the same way when he had those really talented Detroit teams. It took him a while to get them to play the way he wanted. And then, you know, they became this dominant force. I I think that's the biggest thing. Like everybody's like, oh, he has all that talent. You walk into that room, (laughs) you know, everybody, I could coach that team. Oh, you throw these five guys out on the ice. Then you throw the next five guys out on the ice. And when they mess up, the goalie saves everything. You, you try and coach those personalities. And I'm not saying it in a bad way. The reason they're all elite players is because they're all alpha dogs, every one of them. And you have so many alpha dogs in your locker room that it becomes a snake pit at times. And, and we've seen really talented teams fall apart because of all those alpha dogs just banging heads and saying, I'm the king alpha dog. I'm the big dog. You're going to follow me. And they, they don't have that. Like they play like the Islanders play with less talent because they're unified in what they do. They finally, and it took all that heartbreak and all the laughing uh, the rest of the league had at them. (laughs) Look at the Tampa Bay Lightning. They think they're so good. Columbus knocked them down seven pegs. Like it took all of that for them all to come together and have that come to Jesus moment and say, you know what? Maybe that guy in the nice suit with the fancy words knows what the hell he's talking about. And I'm going to listen and let's see what happens. And what happened was they lifted the Stanley Cup and now they're one win away from having a chance to do it again. So you're, you're 100% right. That John Cooper deserves all the credit in the world for what the Tampa Bay Lightning have done, along with the players. Yeah, I mean, look, the, it sounds silly, but the worst thing they could have done was win 62 games. I mean, they had nothing to play for after Valentine's Day that season. And then they're just expected to flip that switch. And we saw what happened, but... Um, I think the best thing that could have happened to him, fellas, was winning that marathon game against Columbus last year. Uh, From that point on, um, they've just been dynamite. And Dan's right. Like, kudos to them for the way that they have bounced back after every loss in the postseason since the start of last year. It's it's really, really remarkable. And it's a credit to the coaching staff for sure. It is. And and it also, uh, I mean, I brought up a bunch of talented players, Kucherov, Stamkos, Hedman, Vasilevsky. it's funny because his personality almost makes you forget about him sometimes, but Braden point might be the biggest alpha dog of them all, you know, in that <laughs> locker room and, and the way he plays to me, he's, he epitomizes the change in the Tampa Bay lightning, right? They, they had to get to be a team that plays the way Braden point plays, which is aggressive, always in the right spots, thinking man's type of game, but, with unique skill and skating ability and humble and not, not out for themselves at all. And Braden point now has goals in eight straight games. You know, it's, it's incredible. 10 of the last 11 games, always in the right spot. Now, some of those are power play goals from the slot, but that's not an easy play. That's not an easy shot. You know, when you, when you don't know, sometimes you probably don't know when Kucherov is passing to the puck and you gotta, (laughs) you gotta be ready for that. Um, But he is just, he, he, he epitomizes to me what the Tampa Bay lightning have become uh, since the old fun run and gun Tampa Bay lightning have kind of gone by the wayside and this team's become a really good playoff team. And I think he deserves, I mean, obviously with the goals, it's incredible, but he deserves a ton of credit because he is that guy that has just put it out there and left it out there and walked away from the rink and said, yeah, yeah, we're, we're good. And I don't need to, I don't need to say anymore. And you heard me ask him after the game last night, Dan, he does not give one ounce about this goal streak. Could not care less. He just wants to win games. Um, And, you know, Kucherov is is a wizard with the puck. There's no dispute about that, but you still have to finish. And he, every time he touches the puck, you're at the point now where you think he's going to score. So 
I can't even imagine what's going through the minds of, of Pelican Pollock and Andy Green and Nick Letty when, when Braden Point has the puck in the slot. My goodness, it's so much fun to watch. He is a terrific hockey player. And you think about what the Islanders defense have done previous to this, right? They shut down and frustrated some really yep. high-end yep. players, and they haven't been able to do it with him. And, you know, you brought up the point of people saying, oh, well, Kucherov gets him the puck in the, in the slot or in the circle, and he puts it home, la-di-da. You know how many people in the history of the NHL have scored this many games in a row? Yeah. Yeah, it's crazy. One. One. Yeah, one. one, one, one. <laughs> Reggie Leach, not, that's it. <laughs> he's not named Wayne Gretzky. Right. He's not named Mario Lemieux. He's yeah. not named Mike Bossy. He's not named any of those people. This kid is an elite company, you know, and, and as an older fan, we always sit around and over beers or whatever. We're like, hey, you know, wouldn't it have been great to have seen so-and-so in his prime? And, you know, that's the history of the league. Wayne Gretzky in his prime will never see anything like it again. Mario in his prime. They have statues of him going through the defenseman. You're living. Poor, poor you're, living you're living through what Compton's kid is going to say 20 years from now. When he's sitting around at the barbecue talking about games and he's going to be like, oh, man, if you saw Braden Point in his prime, what a player that kid was. Yeah. Just ignore it. Which is, oh, yeah. well, yeah, that's cool. But he's got it so easy. Baloney. He doesn't have it easy. It's never been done. We should be swinging from the rafters yelling hosannas. Look, Leo Komarov has been playing with Matthew Barzell since day one of the playoffs. He doesn't have a goal. Braden Point scores every night, every single <laughs> night. It's 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 unbelievable. It really, really is. What are you trying to say about Uncle Leo? No, I love Uncle Leo. I'm just ma- making a point that you can play with the most talented guy in the world. You still have to finish. And Braden yeah. Point finishes every single night. It's insane what he's doing. Speaking of finish, uh, and I think this is a scary thing for the Islanders as they look ahead now to game six, as we record this the day before game six on Tuesday, is the fact that Steven Stamkos finished twice in game five and he was struggling it became a narrative before the game what's going on with Stamkos is he hurt is he playing you know is he playing injured why isn't he producing his line had no points at even strength only two assists both on the power play him he had one and Kalorn had one that was in the first four games of the series and 45 seconds in the game one a gift right on his stick he puts it in the net and then I you saw a different Stamkos right after that because now all of a sudden he had a shooter's mentality and he was he was looking to wire the puck. He did on the power play. He had another assist on a power play goal. I think it was points goal. And so he gets going. Kalorn gets going. Sorelli got going. Kucherov and, and Point and Pilat have been going, whether it's on the power play at even strength. You know what you're getting out of that good Giroux, Gord, and Coleman line, which also got a goal. And I think the fourth line has been really good, too. I think yep. it's a scary thing here for the Islanders that – that number 91 for, for the Tampa Bay Lightning got himself into this series with, with production rather than into this series with, you know, a hit here or a winning a face-off there because that's how Stamkos gets going is, is by goals. He's got 439 of them in the regular <laughs> season, you know, in his career, and he gets going by goals. He got two, and I think that's a huge thing and a scary thing for the Islanders. Yeah, I'm with you. Look, I think the Islanders had to take advantage of when that line wasn't going. And now that they're going, how are they going to beat this team that has not lost back-to-back games in forever? How are they going to do that now when this, when now it's, it's almost like they're getting beat at their own game, Dan, against a more talented hockey club. They're rolling four lines. They're capitalizing on turnovers. That's how the Islanders win. Um, And now you have this Stamkos line that's going bonkers. And like we were talking about before, the Gord line has been, I think, fantastic really since the start of the series. So uh, the Islanders have their work cut out for them here going into tomorrow. And they, they have the lesser of the goalies. As, as good as the Islanders goaltending has been, they, both got, they were both gotten to last night. Yeah. I, I mean, you, you know, you, you look on the bench and, you know, the face is there, and then you look at the kid that's left to pick up the pieces, Sorokin, and you're like, oh, my God. And both of them were just uh, – by the end, you had to think they were like, Denny Lemieux from Slapshot, like you know, <laughs> you're looking in that Tampa Bay locker room and and the stick shaking and everything else, like because it was a it was a it was a firing range out there. Yeah, like there were three passes, nobody around, and guys are just teeing off. 
and and you know point shots are bouncing around and coming in everything was like a hand grenade like it was unbelievable like as bad as the islanders were there were three or four hand grenades that you were just like how does that happen i mean that luke shen shot like yeah how does he score on that like it, it looked like he it hit paul skate right yeah, yeah but it looked like yeah. he was trying to like dig a hole and yeah. he just threw the puck up and it hit somebody's skate and it went in. And, and like, you know, again, you look at both the goalies and they're kind of shaking their head. Goalies know when it's not their night, when, right. when the hockey gods are against them. But now, you know, you think about it and you're like, here's the guy at the other end. We haven't gotten to him yet. Like we've beaten him, but right. we haven't gotten to him. We haven't rattled him. We haven't scored goals that make him go, oh, he's the he's probably the Vezina Trophy winner. He's yeah. been the best goalie in these playoffs. He he's been the best goalie in the league for four years now. You know, Vezina Trophy finalist each of the last four years. Again, you got a good goalie on your end. So did the Bruins and Tuukka Rask. Like at some point, you just look and you're like, "We're we're not at that position. We're just not in the same league." And now we got to win two in a row against that guy specifically. Yeah, and he never gets rattled, like you said. He makes everything look so easy. He's a phenomenal goaltender. It's just. It's supposed to get tougher, right? Like the first round against the Penguins, the Islanders had the two best goalies in the series, in Sorokin and Varlamov. Um, and then it was a little bit more even in round two. And now you're going up against, the, like you said, Sean, the best. So um, Vassie's not going to get rattled here. They've got to go to the net. They've got to park themselves in front. This is where they really miss Anders Lee, not to make excuses, but um, that's Lee's bread and butter, parking himself in front of the net, going to those dirty areas. Uh, the Islanders have to create some more traffic uh, in front of Vasilevsky in game six. They have to beat a team. They have to win two games in a row against a team that hasn't lost two games in a row in the playoffs in 26 months. Right. Right. I mean, yeah. talk about, I know that's not how they look at it. They have to look at it one at a time, all that right. same cliche right. stuff, but we can look at it differently. Sure. And we're not playing that. Exactly. <laughs> and that's the task at hand here for yeah. the New York Islanders. They're not doing that at all we we've we've gone over this in, in a lot of different ways they're not doing that if they can't handle the puck in the neutral zone and brian you talk about they have to park themselves in front of you know vasilevsky and do they they can't get there they like they were right. struggling to get there right. uh you know with with possession for the last four periods of this series and they have to be able to get there. They have to be more. It's similar situation as the Lightning after game one and in the second period of game four, right? I mean, like, they were just fumbling the puck around. They, yeah. If they had it, the you know, when it, when they finally got it, it was a fly in the zone. They had no help, the support, the gaps were off. It, it To me, that's where all the adjustments are for the Islanders as, as we look ahead to game six at the Coliseum on Wednesday night. That's the adjustment, you know, be it in the neutral zone, Got to be better, more patient, understanding of when the, where the pressure is, having a release valve that's close to you for the pressure to get rid of it, you know, to get even if it's dumping it in and going chase it, getting them behind them, all those things. Because if they want to play, you know, like Sean was saying with hand grenades, forget about <laughs> it. it. It ain't gonna work against the Tampa Bay Lightning. No, it's not. And I wonder, fellas, just get back to Vasilevsky for a second and finding a way to rattle him, even though I don't know if it's possible, to be honest. But do you put Oliver Wallstrom for game six just yeah. because of that lethal shot that he brings just to bring a different element, and especially because, you know, that third line really it goes back to Pajot, too. It just hasn't been a factor. Um, and it's nothing against Travis Ajak or Leo Komarov, whoever would come out in that situation. But I think the owners need to bring something different here tomorrow night. Well, they they have gotten one break now. A little breaking news while we're on the podcast here. Oh, yeah? Matt Barzell will not be suspended. There you for, go. For his hit, fine $5,000 by the Department of Player Safety, which it always makes me laugh because people are like, ha-ha, that's ashtray money. Like, that's what you get to fine him. There's no there's no more that you can fine him. That's the rules that they made it. CBA-driven. Yeah. Right? So right. it's the worst punishment that you can hand out. But at least he's playing tomorrow. And and it did not seem after the game that Barry was 100% sure he was going to have Matt Barzell in his lineup. And he was none too pleased about that. Um, as he shouldn't be like no way and, and that again like you're losing and and you know everybody talks about tone setting and and the physical play and and all that and all that comes you know where the real tone is the real tone is when you keep your cool and yeah. you keep going and, and you just let the other team know that's okay yeah sure whatever here we come 
we're coming back at you at game six. This, I'm going to go get my pound of flesh. I've had enough. Like you're playing right into the other team's hands. And, and when your best players do it, now you're really in trouble. And, and, I, and go ahead. I, I love, I love Barry's reaction after. And this is part of why he's so successful as a coach guys, because it's more, he comes off as a dad more than a coach. Like there was no yelling like that stupid, blah, blah, blah. Like, I was very disappointed in what Matthew did. <laughs> you know what I mean? like, and then that's when, like, when I do that to my daughter, like, she, like, that's when the tears come. Like, she's, it's better than screaming. Like, yes. when you, when you're so calm, you're like, I'm very disappointed at what you did. It's like, oh boy, I really screwed up this time. Yes. So I, I mean, look, Barzell's been in the league long enough. You can't be doing that. I mean, what, I, I know the game's out of reach. It's six nothing, whatever, but you cannot put yourself in a position to take yourself out of an elimination game. Really, really not, not smart. I'll leave it at that. Not smart. You're right though. I mean, it's like when dad's not even going to yell at me. <laughs> exactly. Oh man, I really screwed up. But no, yeah. like, and, and if this were the regular season, Matt Barzell might be scratched for the next game. I mean, right. if this he wasn't the, you know, a winner go home game, he might be yeah. scratched for the next game based on that. And it wasn't something you could do, but let's see his response. Now he's got to have a big response, right? No I mean, doubt. That, that's the key here. Like it happens. You can't take it back. You got the misconduct, the five minute major. Now let's see what your response is. But Brian, let's go back to your point originally, but you know, one of the points you made before about Oliver Wallstrom, hundred yeah. percent, hundred percent. I think you got to put him in the lineup, change the mojo a little bit, right? They haven't scored yep. a goal in four straight periods. You got to change the mojo a little bit with Oliver Wallstrom uh, and, I don't know if do you take out. I don't know if I take out Travis Zajac because I think he can win faceoffs for me. You know, if, if need be. I think he, I think Leo's been playing on the first line, and they'll chant his name, Uncle Leo, and whatnot. But yeah, I would put Oliver Wallstrom in the lineup, and I would probably take Leo Komarov out of the lineup. Yeah, and Leo's a big part of the of the PK dam. But if Zajac's going to stay in the lineup, then it's not a huge loss because Zajac can kill penalties as well. They can't so. kill penalties against this team. Just well, don't well, take them. You got to stay out of the box. You're absolutely yeah. take, I mean, six more than last night. You just, you can't do it. Right. Um, and then the question is because Jordan Eberle has not produced do you put Wallstrom with Barzell and see what happens there. Or be, is it because it's an elimination game? You, you leave him with Peugeot. Cause that's where there's more familiarity. I don't know. Barry's got some work to do here, but. Um, I think you need Wallstrom shot in, in the lineup tomorrow night, just because it's probably going to be, it's not going to be eight, nothing. Like we were saying earlier, this is going to be two, one, three, two, something along those lines. And I think you need Wallstrom shot in this game. I, I couldn't agree less. Nice. This morning. is why Sean's the best on this podcast <laughs> and, and no offense, but you're taking a dude who has no, almost no experience, right? Yeah who's been on training wheels for a couple of weeks now. And you're going to put him in against this buzzsaw and you're going to say, here you go, son, have a good time. Like no way. Like they're, they're going up and down the Audubon at 180 miles an hour and you're on a tricycle. Agreed. But he, he didn't look, he didn't look out of place in the first, I know it's a different animal, but he didn't look out of, out of place against the penguin, Sean or the Bruins, no, to be honest, I, before he got I, hurt. I'm not saying that he looked out of place, but I am saying that his his experience in this situation is limited. And I am saying that he has not played in a game. Like you would be nervous putting him into a regular season game as he's coming back just because of it. And now you're turning the torque three times and you're turning it against a team that can turn it four or five times. And, and who knows what his top speed is right now? Oh, you're and, far and, too concerned. Well, we don't and even know what his injury is. But you I can't, mean, you can't get he, away, you can't get away from it. So now you make the commitment and you put him in, and all of a sudden he goes out there and it's just a track meet, and he looks like me at the end of the hundred yard dash. Like, what do you do now? You're let's, let, let's not get crazy. I don't think he would look like you after a hundred yard dash. <laughs> but against those guys, he might. <laughs> yeah, I, I know. I know what you're trying to say. Right. The only the only thing I'll counter with is if, if you guys saw the look on his face when they panned on him in the press box last night, he looked like, I can't believe I'm not playing right now. I really want to be out there and see what I can do against these guys. It, it almost goes back to when Cappy scratched Anders Lee for games five and six against the Caps in 2015, uh, which was just baffling to me. Uh, um, like, there's just, just there's a gear that these guys have that they're competitors and they want to be out there. I think Washington can make a difference. I really do. 
I do too. I think he could make a difference. Uh, I, I think offensively they need, they might need a little bit of a jolt. I see exactly what you're saying, Sean. I, I mean, yeah, of course. I, I I get the point. I think it makes sense, but I think you have to weigh it. What am I getting? And I I'm looking at Leo Komarov, but it could be somebody else. What am I getting from Leo Komarov that I'm going to be missing when if I put Oliver Wallstrom in the lineup? And right now I, I just don't see enough that that's going to say to me. Man, I got to have that in the lineup. Experience plays a role. I get that. It certainly does. But sometimes it does Sometimes it does pay off to put a guy in there who's got none, who doesn't care. He's just going to go in there. He's going to just play, and he'll, be at, you know, he'll try to get to top speed and say, like, here, this is fun. Let me just keep going and going and going. And, and, and it might work, you know, and it might work. I think you got to do it just to change the mojo a little bit just because of how the last four periods have gone for the New York Islanders. But – I mean, is Oliver Wallstrom going to make the biggest difference between winning and losing game six? Probably not, but I no. don't think Leo Komarov is either. And if Leo's not going to play with Barzell, I don't see the purpose that he's serving on the four lines, to be honest. If he's not going to be out there to create time and space for Barzell and Eberle, then to play him on the third line, I think you're better off playing Oliver Wallstrom. Just me. Yeah, and, and look, the, the counter-argument is, the, and we haven't talked about this series yet, but the Montreal Canadiens put all kinds of youth in their lineup. They started out, they wouldn't play Romanoff, they wouldn't play Colefield, they benched Kakanemi pretty quickly and then reinserted him into the lineup. And their youth has, has served them well. You know, Colefield's been really good. Um, but all of those guys were healthy. That's the difference. All of those guys had 56 games under their belt, NHL games. That's the difference. Like, we're talking about a guy that we don't know is 100% healthy, does not have, except for Caulfield, who did not have 56 games. He had, like, four. He had 10, and he scored four goals. Right. Um, but the other two guys, veteran guys, one had already been through a pretty long playoff run. Um, but they were healthy. And that to me, that's the biggest difference. If, you, if you're struggling with whether a guy's ready or not, and you're going to throw him in because the end is near, um, and it's desperation time. That's a slippery road for me. Yeah, makes sense. I understand that. Brian, I wanted to ask you a big picture Islander question before we do turn our focus a little bit to Vegas and Montreal. And, and again, we're recording this Tuesday afternoon. They're going to play tonight. So a lot of what we, if we were to dissect this the way we were dissecting, you know, the Islanders and the Lightning, I mean, it could be old by the time you listen to this podcast. So we got to go big picture, but I wanted to ask you a big picture question on the Islanders if they lose game six or if they lose the series in seven games this is back-to-back times they've lost in the semis or the conference final whatever you want to call it to the same team are I don't think Lou overreacts Lou Lamarillo that is their GM but what would he do do you think in regards to being close but you keep losing to the best you know what Dan I think win or lose this is going to be a much different looking team next year just because of the cap and decisions that they have to make here. Um, Sezikis is a UFA. Uh, Pellick, Sorokin, Beauvillier, all these guys need new contracts. Um, so I think that as far as trying to win with this group, I think this is it, to be honest. Um, they're clearly going to lose somebody to Seattle in the expansion draft, but um, other guys I think are going to have to go for, for reasons to keep Adam Pellick to me is, is he top 10? I think he's close as far as yeah. defenseman in this league go now. Um, he's going to get a real hefty race. So um, there's going to be changes, win or lose here. Um, it's just a matter of who's going to stay and who's going to go. He's the top priority to me. Yeah, I agree. Like, yep. You got to get that done first and foremost. I mean, you look at what happened to Taze, you know, and, and the boat that were put in there with, right with the salary cap and, and, you know, the payback was decent, you know, a couple of second round picture, hope they pan out, but I can't imagine that blue line. Like you've developed that kid to the point where now you watch him and you see how special he is on a nightly basis to, to have to run into contract issues. There would be unfathomable. No, I'm with you. And I think the only reason why they were comfortable trading Taze in the first place was because of Noah Dobson, who I think is going to be a really, really good player in this league for a long time. But Adam, Adam Pellick to me, uh, like I was saying, guys, he's on another level. And he, like I said, he's probably going to bet what five, six, maybe even more than that. Um, and he, he's earned every penny. He's terrific. Yeah. Of the players that they could lose to Vegas, I mean, not Vegas, uh, Seattle, um, <laughs> easy slip up there. Yeah. The players they could lose to Seattle, if they had a choice, who do you think they would pick 
to be the guy to say, you know what, we, we like you a lot, but sorry, we're, we're not going to miss you that much. Probably Jordan Everly. No offense to him, but just talking about Wallstrom like we have for the, over these last few minutes, you, you have a guy who can fill that void. Um, so I think Everly would be the guy. No fans have told me about Josh Bailey. Josh Bailey's hockey IQ is off the charts, and he's had a monster postseason for these guys. So I think Everly would be the guy that they would prefer to go to Seattle. The other series. Let's talk about it real quick. There's a storyline playing out with the Montreal Canadiens. And I don't mean them being in the series. It's 2-2 as we talk right now. But their coach can't be around them because he tested positive for COVID. Luke Richardson is guiding the, running the bench. Uh, and there's the emotional story with his daughter as well. Yeah. Who, you know, 11 years ago, um, he lost her. And he's, it, it's quite a storyline that's playing out there with the Montreal Canadiens that is emotional and, and also – you know, a little scary because of Dominique Ducharme with COVID. And then you see, you know, Mark Bergevin addressing the team, doing a pump-up speech, before, <laughs> you know. that When was the last time we saw the GM do a pump-up speech? You know, it's, it's kind of amazing. I haven't seen one from Lou, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Isn't it kind of amazing what we're seeing here? For, win or lose, what a storyline these Montreal Canadiens have been. Yeah, good for them. And you know what? It, it gives – credibility that I think some people thought was lacking from that division. Um, they had it rougher than anybody. COVID's been worse up there for, for the last little bit. The travel has been way worse as opposed to, you know, you and I, Dan, cover the Islanders and the Rangers mostly. I mean, the travel in the East doesn't even compare to what those Canadian teams that were doing with all during the regular season. So uh, I got to know Luke pretty well during his time here with the Islanders, even assistant with Doug Wade. We had a long conversation about his daughter. It was uh is really emotional. Uh, re- really, really good guy. Um, they're a great story. Um, it, it's a shame that we can't have 20,000 people at the Bell Center because I remember covering playoff games with Sean there during the Eastern Conference Final. What was that, 2010, Sean? I mean, that was just yeah. off the charts, off the charts. One of the greatest experiences uh, getting to cover playoff games up there. Um, they're in this. Good for them. Uh, I thought Vegas was going to win in five before that series got underway. They're, the Canadians continue to prove me wrong. Um, it's a terrific story for sure. Yeah, and it, it is. It's it's too bad that the fans can't experience it in the way that they normally would. Right, like, they get to the Stanley Cup final if they do, and and you know they're playing in a half full building. Yeah, and and everybody in Montreal is going to say they were at those games, which will be a neat trick. Um, <laughs> That's right. But everybody might be outside. You see that number growing every game, which is which is kind of cool, and 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 you know that that happens but the the thing when i look at that team that i love is, is Corey perry and and eric stall are playing like they're 23 years old again warriors yeah like the eternal youth fountain that is the stanley cup like they were not great during the regular season you know eric got traded didn't bring right away what i think montreal wanted and then all of a sudden the calendar flipped and somebody you know hung up his jersey and said you know what the playoffs start today and he was a completely different player. And Corey yeah. Perry always is. I mean, Corey Perry is just like people forget, you know, they signed him. He signed basically to be on the taxi squad and had to earn right. his way and, and everything else. And, and, you know, now he's the lifeblood of that team. Um, Mike Zeisberger wrote a great story on him the other day. Talked to Dale Hunter. They both played in London. And, and the one thing I didn't know, like everybody knows him as Corey Perry and it's an okay. Nickname. <laughs> his teammates know him as Worm because he gets under everybody's yeah. skin. Yeah. Yeah. Like that's a great hockey nickname, and nobody's earned it more than he has. Like he drives people bonkers. You think Come Dallas on. missed him this year? Right? Yes. I mean, yeah, success, success just follows the guy. Uh he's a warrior. Shea Weber, too. I mean, diving all over the place. Um, they they have a, a great blend of use and veteran warriors who have just been through this before and got, I mean, how much can, can a guy like Cole Caulfield be learning from, from those three guys? I mean, yeah. it's gotta be a, just insurmountable amount of wealth. It's crazy. It's great. Yeah, Good for we, them. And we talked about Vasilevsky and, and how he, you know, has to be in the Islanders heads at this point. Carrie price is so deep. Oh yeah. Into the Vegas shooters heads. Like you watch him, Alex Tuck has missed the net on like 10 straight shots. Right because he's trying to be so fine like yeah. he's, he's basically like if i put it on the frame 
Carrie Price is going to stop it. I got to go fine upstairs cookie jar right under the bar. And there are not many guys in the league that can do that on a consistent basis. And, nope. and, and he's kind of gotten into their heads and, and they're a team that struggles to score in the playoffs generally um, a lot of times. And now it's, it's been magnified because Carrie price is being Carrie price and he's been dismissed so many times. I've always had him very high in my rankings of goalies and people are like, well, look at his numbers. Like right. who wants to play in front of him anymore? Well, look at the guys that were playing in front of him. Like have a defense like Vasilevsky has or, or Volomov has right. or, or Grubauer has, and then talk to me and then put him in a big game and tell me who you want instead of him. No, nope, he's been he, fantastic. He's proved it again. He's it been blows, fantastic. It blows me away. And remember, Sean, a couple of weeks ago, we had Bruce Boudreaux on the podcast and I asked him this question too. It still blows me away that he is able to get in everybody's head. Be, you know, it, it, a lot of goalies don't do that. You know, right. like they, they, they don't do that. And he does. And I don't know if it's the level of respect that Carey Price has around the league for all the, the skaters in the league. I'm not sure what it is, but he absolutely does get in their heads. And he is in the Vegas Golden Knights heads as they head into game five. There's no question about it. But look on the let's look on the other side at the goaltending there. And the complete detached from emotion decision <laughs> that the Vegas Golden Knights continue to make. I mean, that that like. Peter DeBoer did it with Marc-Andre Fleury, game four. Eh, no, Robin Landers can start. Now, Mark, we don't know. I mean, Marc-Andre Fleury could start game five. As we record this now, it hasn't been official yet, but we think he is. But no, I mean, Marc-Andre Fleury is our face of the franchise, our emotional guy. We all love him. He's carried us this far. Sit down. Robin Laner's starting. Come on. You know, like, it It just it goes with the, the theme of the Golden Knights for almost as long since that run to the Stanley Cup final. Com- no emotion in their decisions, just strictly. I don't know. I, I don't know if it's gut feeling or by the numbers or what it is, but there's no, it's just, you know, I, I don't care. I don't care about that. Nate Schmidt, you were wonderful for us. Don't care. Goodbye. You know, we yeah. can do better. You know, all of the, we got Alex Petrangelo. Thank you, Nate. Goodbye. Go enjoy Vancouver. You know, like all of these types of decisions, it's frankly amazing. They can manage, but what a gutsy move by Peter DeBoer. I, th- I thought it was because you're putting a guy in there who hasn't played in forever, too, and he goes and makes 27 saves and then helps win the game. A game that the Vegas Golden Knights were not better than the Montreal Canadiens. They won. No, I-, I love the decision. I just can't believe that he's not going to play again, like just to go back <laughs> to Florida, because I know Robin pretty well from his time here on the island. And I mean, he'll say all the right things, but behind the scenes, I can't imagine that he's going to be okay with not playing after the way that he played the other night, guys. My, my favorite part of the whole thing was him saying after the game that he came in two hours early yeah. Yeah. To, to read all of our <laughs> tweets about what a bad move it was to motivate him. Like that to me is, is Robin in a nutshell. But the reason this all works, and I don't know how many people saw it, and I, and I saw it through one eye, to be honest with you, is when that game was over, who was the last guy on the ice? It was Mark Andre Fleury. It was Mark Andre yeah. Fleury. Yeah. Fist pumping and laughing and wrestling with everybody. 90% of the goalies in this league would have been the first guy off the ice. Yeah. He's yep. the closest one to the locker room sitting on the end of the bench. Game's over. All right, boys. See you later. I'm going to get the shower first. We're all set. And he was out there and he was glad handing everybody and he was doing his business. And, you know, that's why it works. Yeah, because those two guys, you know, it, some of it's media driven, but those two guys, I think, get competition and get the fact that there's only one net and they have to split it in whatever way um, their coach decides minus Mark Andre's agent. <laughs> Mark <And, Andre's> agent. <laughs> I'm not going there. Now, Brian, I'll let you make your next point. We'll move on from that. <laughs> no, look, you, Flurry. I mean, I think more than anything else just wants to win again. I mean, he's. Yeah. I mean, how many good years does he have left? I think he's more just one of those guys who just wants another crack at a ring more than anything else. Sure, he would love to play and play well. There's no doubt about that. But he wants to get another Stanley Cup before it's all over. And who would have thought, too, with the Vegas Golden Knights sticking on that theme that a couple of years ago, would anybody have thought that the daily updates on Chandler Stevenson, if he's going to play or not, and how valuable he is to a team, would have been a storyline in the playoffs? And yet here we are, and it's continuing to be a storyline. Because he is that valuable to the Vegas Golden Knights because he plays fast. He plays center and he can play with those two guys in Stone and Pacioretty. And 
it continues to be a storyline. And, and frankly, the golden, I can't believe I'm going to say it. The golden Knights <laughs> need Chandler Stevenson to win. Don't, don't know what you got till it's gone. Right. <laughs> hey, all I know, and my memory is a little shaky at times, but I believe that Chandler Stevenson was our uh, blogger during the 2018 right? final. And that is not a position that's given to the most valuable player on any team. <laughs> um, that is that is duty that is left to fourth line centers, number six backup, defense, backup goalies, backup goalies, <laughs> backup goalies that write their own instead of us doing it for them. Right. Um, that was a third string goalie actually for the Pittsburgh Penguins. Um, it, it, you don't get a first line center ever. So no. he's made quite the improvement since last time they were this deep in the playoffs. Well, and Good. if they if they get there, Sean, and we need a blogger, he's got he's got experience. That's right. You know, he's been he's, in the trenches. He's been in there. You know, you know, <laughs> we know he can get the puck in deep. We know he's got speed to play. Right. We know he can he can put some words together. Thirty we'll to thirty-five seconds. Yep. <laughs> Oh, anyway, this was fun. Brian, appreciate it. We covered both series as best we could. So uh, thanks for hopping on with us, man. Anytime, boys. Thanks for having me. I hope you get to cover game seven, Brian. So do I. Thank you, Sean. Well, that was fun. Glad we got Brian on to go over everything going on in the playoffs, particularly the Lightning Islanders series. I'll be covering game six with him at the Nassau Coliseum, the Nassau Veterans Memorial Coliseum in Uniondale, New York, tomorrow night, Sean. And it took me two and a half hours to get there uh for game three so hopefully it doesn't take me two and a half hours to get there for game six nobody cares about your community nobody cares nobody cares i understand you get to be in the building i'm hey nobody cares about i don't care three and a half yeah you're right no it it was awesome to be in the building for a playoff game there it really was and i'm i can't wait for 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 game six uh to to get in there and just the, the feeling the emotion of the building is it's really off the charts. And, and I couldn't believe it, Sean. I thought about it. I hadn't been to a playoff game in person since 2019, Stanley Cup final. And it made me realize that maybe because we've been doing this for so long, you almost start to take it for granted a little bit that you get that opportunity and that privilege to be in the building for a playoff game. And I don't think I'm going to do that anymore. No, I still haven't been. So, you know, I'm waiting for that moment. I'm, I'm desperate for it to happen. Hopefully, um, you know, in the next round and, and that'll be the next introduction, right. To life being back to normal. I've done, done the restaurant thing. I've done, you know, going places without masks for the first time. Yeah. And, uh, you know, I talked to my wife a little bit about it. 18,000 people is a little bit different. Like that's, that's jumping off the cliff and hoping the water's deep enough that you can handle it. I haven't been around more than eight people in 18 months. Well, it's 13,000 at the Coliseum. So, you know, (laughs) but anyway, maybe, maybe Sean, maybe we'll be at a playoff game in Madison square garden next year for the New York Rangers. At least that's what Chris Drury and Gerard Gallant believe could happen because what else are they going to say? Frankly, they're not going to say we're not going to make the playoffs, but there was finally the introductory press conference today on zoom for Gerard Gallant, the new coach of the Rangers. And, uh, my takeaway of it is he expects a lot that expectations are high. Chris Drury, I asked him the question, you know, when you make all these moves and you bring in a coach like Gallant, doesn't that suggest that the, it's, you know, anything less than the playoffs is unacceptable. And he said, it's not a mandate. It's the hope and the goal, not a mandate to make the playoffs, but it's certainly what the players should be thinking that they're cap- that they should do. He basically said, we should do it. And I know how you feel it might be a little too soon, but that's where the Rangers are at right now. And that's, that's the feeling I got from the Gerard Gallant uh, zoom press conference with Chris Drury today, that the expectation is get there next season. It should be a mandate. Now, now you made the move. Now there's no, like you can't wiggle back now and say, Oh, maybe um, Quinn was a maybe. Maybe we get to the playoffs with Quinn. He's still developing our young players. Maybe we get there. Maybe we don't. Now you kick him to the curb. You bring in a guy that's a two-time coach of the year, you know, brought the Golden Knights to the final. Like, and now you're going to say, oh, well, we don't need to get there. It'd be nice if we did. Like, stick by your guns. You're a playoff team. That's why you fired your coach. Yeah. So 
make the playoffs. That's and I think that's really what it is. I mean, I understand what Chris is doing, Chris Drury, and saying it's not a mandate. I mean, what's he going to do? If he says it's a mandate and they don't get in the playoffs, what are you going to do? Fire everybody again? No, you know, I mean, probably not. But this team is not built currently to play playoff hockey the way we're seeing playoff hockey, Sean. They're not. No. And it was asked to Chris Drury today, you know, uh, that you're watching the playoffs now. Do you think you you need more? And the answer is absolutely yes, that everybody needs, you, you know, and he mentioned the speed and the physicality that we're seeing in the playoffs. And, and I've thought about the Rangers and the way they play. And if they could hang in the playoffs, if they were to have snuck in this year as say fourth in, in the East division and the way they're built right now, no chance. They, they would not be able to hang with this. They, there were a lot of skill, but they didn't have that X factor of grit the way we're seeing from the lightning, the golden Knights, you know, uh, even Montreal, uh, obviously the Islanders, even teams before them that, that were eliminated. So it's a big off season for the Rangers in a flat cap world. It's, it's going to be challenging. Well, you can correct me if you're wrong because you cover this team on a regular basis. In my, memory. I would correct you if I'm wrong. I'm not no, you can you correct. <laughs> you can correct me if, if I'm wrong. You're wrong. Yes, but we've already forgotten about the regular season. But with about ten days left in the regular season, the Rangers still had a chance to get in the playoffs. They, they had, had a chance to get in the playoffs. Yes, a lot of they, teams had a chance to get in the they, playoffs with ten days left to go in the regular. They season. had to play the Islanders twice. Yep, twice. And the Islanders bludgeoned them. Yes, they did. And that was the message. And that's and that why was, the GM got fired. And that's why the coach got fired. And that's that why was they, playoff hockey. Yeah. And that's what they were going to face this whole playoff run. That's what they'll face next year in the playoffs. They're not equipped right now, now. As they're presently constituted, they are not equipped to play trench warfare hockey. They're, you know what? They're just like the Toronto Maple Leafs to me. Like they can be a good team in the regular season. And then all of a sudden you tell everybody to put their boots on, get their entrenching tools out. And we're going to advance 15 feet at a time. And it's going to be nasty and it's not going to work. Not the way they are now. So let me ask you a question. And this question doesn't hold true for just the Rangers. It holds true for a lot of teams that think they're close, but they're not playing playoff hockey. Uh, You know, didn't play playoff hockey this year, or maybe didn't play it this year or last year or whatever it may be. Can you, make up the difference in the off season through a free agency or through free agency or trades in a flat cap world. I, I think it's hard. I think it's really hard. It's hard. You know what you do? You go sign Corey Perry. <laughs> well, why or, wouldn't Montreal bring Corey Perry back? Or you go sign somebody like Corey Perry, somebody who people think are is on the scrap heap, but every time there's a playoff game, that player shows up, whether he has one leg that works, whether his face is carved into seven different places, whether his fingers are mashed together, he shows up and he scores and he looks at the other 19 guys in that locker room and he says, you're going to follow me mm-hmm. and I'm going to show you the way. And that's what you need. Like you can have all the skill you want in the NHL today. Colorado have all the skill they want. You need that one or two guys that don't have a ton of skill, but are going to will 18 other people to go beyond what they think they're capable of. And every team that's left in the playoffs right now has that player. They have more than that. They have more than one of them, but they have at least one Mark stone in Vegas. Um, You know, we talked about point with Yanni Gord plays like he's eight feet tall. Mm -hmm. He, Oh, Matt Martin. Yeah, sure. I'll go grab you by the jersey, rip your helmet off, and we'll see what happens from it. Like, those are the things that you have to do in the playoffs. You cannot show intimidation at all. You cannot be intimidated. Yeah, why do you think the Lightning went out and got Barkley Goudreau? You know, I and mean, Pat Maroon. Look at Pat Maroon. Yeah. Look at their fourth lines. Every playoff series, New York Islanders' fourth line has been part of the turning point. Mm-hmm whether it's just getting that cycle going and then you bring the first line out after it with the team already pinned in or whether it's the intimidation of being able to get into corners and get pucks and get them out front. Not in this series. No. Uh, Pat Maroon and Barkley Goudreau and all those guys and even even Ross Colton, they're all like, no. Like I'm Tyler Johnson. Hit- Tyler Johnson's playing five. To, he's, what, five and eight? He's, yeah. he's playing eight feet tall just like Yanni Gord. You know? I'm going to hit you. I'm going to hit you hard. And when you hit me, I'm going to laugh at you. 
if I'm Pat Maroon, I'm going to go sit in your bench for eight seconds and pretty much say, what are you going to do? Mm-hmm. Like, those are the things where you just get in people's heads. Right. And you're like, I have absolutely no fear of your team. This is sacred ground and I'm going to go occupy it. And what are you going to do about it? Yeah. Like that wasn't a mistake. What he did in game five at the end when he just kind of, oh, I got pushed in here. I'm in no rush to leave. It was basically saying, um, I'm not afraid of you guys. Right. Yeah. They're very true. Well, we'll see. I mean, Gallant and Drury have high expectations. The Rangers clearly do. They think they should be a playoff team. We'll see. They got to build it to become a playoff team because right now they don't look like they're built to be a they're, they're not built to win in the playoffs. Maybe they're built to get there, but they're not built to win in the playoffs. That's that's for sure. So we'll see what happens there. One last thing, Sean, before we get out of here, uh, we thank Brian Compton, by the way, who spent a lot of time with us earlier talking about the playoffs. Um, I got emotional, Sean, last night listening to Eddie Olchek on NBCSN talk about Tom Curvers, who passed away at the age of 58 yesterday, Monday, from lung cancer. He was an assistant GM with the Minnesota Wild, longtime player in the league, won the Stanley Cup with Montreal, longtime executive as well. Uh, you know, all the tributes pour in when somebody goes like this and you don't hear a bad word about Tom Curvers. And I actually remember something, Sean. I remember this. I think I was nine or 10 years old and I live in North Jersey, from North Jersey. And the Devils were doing, they were practicing, they, their practice rink was South Mountain Arena in West Orange. And I went there to skate just with my mom and a friend of mine. And they were doing like a, a season ticket fan thing on the ice where fans were walking around signing, having, you know, autographs from all the players. This is when Tom Curvers was with the devils, 1987, 88 in that run, that area. And I remember sneaking onto that ice. I wasn't a season ticket holder, but I remember sneaking onto that ice and I got a bunch of guys autographs. And I, I remember specifically actually getting his autograph. So that was my first encounter. I was nine or 10 years old with Tom Curvers. Uh, didn't have a lot of encounters with him, but every time I did see him, especially, you know, whether, you know, in Tampa Bay, when they have had their runs, such a nice man, always engaging, talking in the press box and sad to see him pass away. But I really, I got emotional listening to Eddie Olchek because Eddie's a cancer survivor himself. And you could hear his voice cracking as he read a tribute to Tom Curvers. Yeah, no, it was emotional. And, and you're going to get me emotional in a minute. Um, I, I, I just, you know, it's sad, right? It's a couple years older than I am, you know, according to everybody, he never smoked nothing like this. This all came out of nowhere. Um, that would have been 88 when you saw him because one of his historical footnotes and there were so many, my God, what an accomplished athlete he was. Um, he was traded the next year by the devils, you know, who came back. Uh, I don't. Well, it ended up being Scott Niedemeyer. It was the pick. Oh, yeah. He was traded to right. the Toronto the Maple Leafs yes. because right. Lou Lamarillo, who's now with the with the Islanders, had gotten Slava Fetisov out of Russia. Right. And all of a sudden, Tom Curvers was excess to needs. And he was able Kasatonov to... Kasatonov, too. Didn't he get Kasatonov? Yeah. And yeah. he was able to trade him to Toronto. And that ended up being the Scott Niedermeyer pick. I think it was the three that year. That's right. Um, and that changed the whole franchise. Um, so, <laughs> yes, but yeah, I mean... Curvis was like, he was a three sport athlete in Minnesota. Um, you know, the first time I remember seeing him is I, I loved college hockey when I was younger and, um, he played for Minnesota Duluth, yep. uh, Bowling Green, no Minnesota Duluth, Minnesota and, Duluth. And they the played, legend. they played in a four overtime game in the frozen four. And he played all the time. Um, and, and I, re- I vividly remember watching that game and, and you know, the names, and, and that was one of the ones that always popped out. But, yeah, I mean, just one of those guys, like, it's such a small world, the NHL, especially for people that are far more ingrained in it than you or I are. Everybody knows everybody. You work for multiple teams. If you don't know them, your, your best buddy does. And um, it's just a huge loss. Yeah, huge loss. Uh, and he will be missed. And uh, it really was emotional to hear the emotion that Eddie Olchek had in reading that that uh, obit, basically, on Tom Curver. So he will be missed. Rest in peace. Uh, but the games, as they say, go on, Sean. So we got a playoff game tonight. We got game six at Nassau Coliseum tomorrow night. So tonight being Tuesday, game six being Wednesday. 
And by the time we talk again, we will be in the Stanley Cup final. And that's pretty cool. Yeah. We will either have already had a game under our belt or we'll be right around the start of game one, a little abbreviated media day under our belts. I'm going to miss it again this year. It's always one of my favorite days when you can do it live in person. Um, We're not quite there yet, so it'll be a little bit different again. But uh, we're getting close, and I don't care who's in it. It's going to be a great series. I I know we say this every year, but to me the the variance in styles uh, you know if you if you put if you put montreal or the new york islanders in there that that variance in styles and then if it works out that it's the chalk and it's the favorites wow are they going to fly yeah tampa bay and vegas up and down the ice and it's going to be it's going to be breathtaking that is but do you know what if it is that lightning in vegas well uh, one more point here if it is lightning vegas Lightning are going to try and play like the Islanders did to shut down Vegas. So it's going to be very interesting to see that style of play. But either way, we know we'll be in the Stanley Cup final the next time we talk. So we thank Brian Compton for jumping on with us for a while there to hit on everything. And uh, until we speak again, enjoy the hockey.